Good morning, church. What a blessing to be together today. Welcome the, uh, those of you in the Fellowship Center that are watching in. Glad you guys are here and live stream uh, always. Wasn't it great to hear the announcements from uh, some of our live stream family and what a blessing, especially after the last couple of weeks to hear one of our veterans giving praise to God because of what we've meant to him. And um, it's a lot going on in the world, right? So I'm glad that uh, the Lord is our Savior. And no matter what happens in this world, we're a part of the eternal kingdom of God. Amen? And so we're always going to win. Manny Canales had it right. We win. And we know that. And it's a great blessing. Lisa and I have been traveling across the fruited plains, uh, sharing uh, our story, your story, the story of Christ in us. We were in New Jersey and Michigan last week. And I have to tell you, it's a blessing to me to continue to go to blue states and find red hearts all across. God's got his people out there, right? I made a joke about Jersey Shore, and they were quick to tell me they're, we were in South Jersey, not up there in North Jersey. So I didn't even know what that meant. But apparently that meant something to them. So it was really great. A lot of people listen to our podcast, which is still making a big difference in a lot of people's lives. And just thank you guys for that and spreading the word. What a blessing and opportunities that we have. I have to tell you, last Sunday, I was speaking in New Jersey. About the time the hurricane was hitting Louisiana, and we had a monsoon there and flash flooding. And then, of course, we're getting ready to get out of there from Philadelphia, and here comes Ada. And I started feeling a little bit like Jonah, you know, like... I'm trying to get out of the path of a storm, and uh, we, I just want to mention that we really need to, to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters down south. Uh, a lot of devastation. This is the second year in a row. Obviously, we've had a lot of people impacted, so I want to take just a moment and pray for those guys. Father, we, um, we're we humbled and that we have the opportunity to gather. Anytime we do, we want your name to be glorified. And I know, you know, just as part of our church family, I mean, I think about Larry Keene and so many of my dear brothers and sisters that are struggling today, whether it be from COVID or different illnesses or different problems. So I pray a great blessing on our forever family. I also want to pray for our state and especially those down south. Still with that power today, just, you know, trying to, to live and survive in the sweltering Louisiana heat. So I pray a great blessing uh, that uh, power and lives can be restored as quickly as possible. Thank you for all the efforts of so many uh, that pour their hearts into helping, including our own, some of our own people here. And I pray we can continue to bring that help to those who need it. I pray for Mike today. He's just got over COVID. Now he's battling some kidney stones. So be with, be with him uh, and others, Father, that we love so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Lindley Loveland, would you come up? The ever-talented and lovely Lindley, Lindley Loveland. She, um, she's out at OCS. And, of course, she's an artist. I wonder where she got that from uh, and also a great athlete but she's going to read our scripture today yes sir so i'm reading from matthew 9 9 through 13 as jesus went on from there he saw a man named matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me he told him and matthew got up and followed him while jesus was having dinner at matthew's house Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you. Thank you, Lindley. Very good. So um, we're starting a new book today. Super excited about uh, the book of Matthew. And uh, Mike and I will be uh, preaching through this and some others uh, across the course of this fall through the end of the year. And I've always thought that you really get a sense of the book by understanding a little bit more about the author. And I have to be honest with you, I hadn't thought as much about Matthew as I have this go around of study in him personally. And I think The Chosen is one of the reasons why that's helped me to understand that. Those of you that watch The Chosen, you know that the actor that's been portraying Matthew has played him in a certain way that really made me zero in that, you know, Matthew, he had a lot of issues in his walk and in his life. And I think out of that backdrop, it helps us understand so much more. I loved Brandon's communion talk today. Uh, and by the way, speaking of first century, brother, with that hair and beard, you could be for your first century-esque. I mean, you put some sandals on that guy in a robe, right? He's got, a, as dad would say, he has a look about him. But what I, what I loved about the, the humility of his heart was exactly what this book is about. It's about here's where the law is and here's where the requirements are and here's where all the things that you've been told to do are. But down deep is what God wants. He wants that heart. He wants that worship. And so you enter a guy like Matthew into the mix. And I think the, that Lindley's reading the description uh, of, of his calling says a lot about who this man is and was. The other Gospels refer to him by his sort of given name of Levi. And, you know, in the Bible, they had more than one name, as do we. And But he didn't call himself Levi. Now, that meant that he was from the tribe of Levi, which meant that he was set apart to be a priest. I mean, that's that was the Levite's job. And it was a very important job. And they were seen in, in a very high spiritual regard. And yet he didn't call himself that. He called himself Matthew. Because he was a dreaded tax collector, probably that meant that he was excommunicado by his family. They had probably cut him out. In other words, this guy who had so much promise, so much ability within the Jewish setup, was now a tax collector, was now working for the enemy, and they were both reviled and despised by everyone. They were seen as thieves and traitors that they would work with the occupying Rome or even take money for Herod because they worked for everybody. He had status. He had money. He definitely didn't seem to fit into the narrative of a person who would be a part of this collective of disciples. More than likely, he was probably the only literate disciple uh, out of the 12. He, he would have had to have spoken four languages to do his job, to be able to communicate with the Romans and the Greeks, but also with the Hebrews and the Aramaic. So he didn't quite fit the narrative at all. And yet Jesus comes to his booth and says, follow me. And so you learn a lot more about Moses in his response. First thing he does is it simply says he got up and he followed him. Now, that's a simple statement. But I want you to think about what went into that. He got up and walked away from wealth, from status. From everything that had led his life to this point, which was a lot. 
But he also walked away from guilt, shame, people who were vowed. He was walking away from that as well. So there was a lot in that moment. You know, somewhere deep in his heart, there was a stirring of restoration. And the reason I know that is because of the nature of the gospel that he wrote. Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish of the four. I mean, it has more Old Testament references, more Old Testament quotes. So he was really trying to make the case to the Jewish people. Why? I mean, part of it had to be that here was this cut out, set apart guy who had made a decision to live his life that went against everything that he had believed growing up. And now he has an opportunity because he met Jesus to show his people who the Messiah really is. Maybe he understood finally what his destiny was all about. It was sort of like our last study when Paul wrote Romans. He was making the case, right, that Jesus really is the way. It's the same with Matthew. I love what he does immediately, and that is he throws a party for Jesus. After all, when you find salvation, it's time for a party, right? So the first thing he does is has a party, and he invites all his degenerate friends to be a part of it. Why? He wants them to meet Jesus. I mean, it's changed him, and he wants them to know. Whenever Jason and I graduated from school here back in 1990, you believe that? A long time ago. Well, I had long hair too, Brandon, back in those days. It was more of a mullet, but it was, you know, it was there. <laughs> Gary Myers inspired, right? Those of you old timers. And when we got out of school, we were interns here. And Jace, I'll never forget, he made a list. Because he was just a little bit rude from high school. He made a list of everyone he knew in high school that he wanted to share Jesus with. And it was a long list. And then he just went out and he started sharing and lining up opportunities. And old Blake Gaston was the first one to come on board. And that opened doors for the next guy and the next girl and the next group of people. And all of a sudden, a lot of people off that list became sons and daughters of the Almighty. Many of them are still here as a part of our church family. Older, grayer, fatter, but here. Because that's what we do with the kingdom, right? We want to share that. What's interesting is this also started a three-year battle with the Pharisees. Because did you catch their question? They asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, what kind of religious man is he? And Jesus' answer back is very powerful. And it really is the heart of the theme of the book, which is why I want to share with you today. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, he said, but the sick. And isn't that true? How many of you don't like to go to the doctor even when you're sick? Let me, let me see some hands. Yeah, that's me, right? I sure don't want to go when I'm healthy. We don't, we stay away, right? But Jesus said, that's why I came. Now this is an indictment to this religious hierarchy. Because what he's saying in that statement is, you don't care about the sick. All you care about is your own number, looking right, self-righteousness. You don't care about the sick. That's an indictment, even though he didn't say those words. Then he says, and I found this statement even more fascinating, 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What an odd thing to say. Unless, of course, you were Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unless you were the Jesus that said, before Abraham was born, I am. Meaning that Jesus had been there all along, watching the sacrifices, watching the doves, watching the goats, watching the lambs, everybody doing their part, exactly what they're told to do. And yet having no mercy for anyone else, no love, no compassion, no willingness to help someone up, no willingness to share. And that's why he said, I desire mercy, not more of your sacrifices. He was making a divine statement to those Pharisees. I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now. The last thing he said was, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, what does that mean? Well, we know it meant that it wasn't them, because Paul would later say there is no one righteous. So again, it's an indictment of their view of themselves. They stood in the places of power. They stood in the places of honor and glory. And they looked at everybody else and said, you poor people. If you could only be like me. And so much of this book, this book of Matthew is an indictment of that mindset. Now, while we can look back at the first century and say, oh, yeah, these people, man, they just missed it. Don't look too far back. Because I believe that's exactly what's happened with the church across our culture. We have too many people worry too much about looking and right in status and circles instead of looking to the sick who need a doctor. And the doctor's name is Jesus. That is who our heart and compassion has to be towards. Not just our, ourselves. Not just how my family looks. It's easy to fall into the trap. It's easy to not want to crash the party. It's easy to not want to throw the party. It's difficult for us to continue to humble ourselves. That's why I loved your words this morning, Brandon. Powerful. So, Matthew's an insider because he was a Levite. But he was turned into an outsider because he became a tax collector Now he's turned back to being an insider because he was a follower of the Messiah, which really then makes him an outsider because nobody believed Jesus. You got that? That's the man that wrote this gospel. In other words, he was a party crasher. And I like that. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 17 verses today. And I'm going to spare you a lot of begats. Remember the King James Version, there was like 42 begats. I'm going to spare you those. And I'm just going to read the first and the last verse of our segment. Then I'm going to talk about what's in between. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He said genealogy. Okay, that's important, especially for the royals, because we're talking about a king. Verse 17 says, thus were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to now, to the Messiah. Now, these are 14 selective because there were actually a few more in there, but he picked out 14, 14, 14, 42 generations 
of Jesus' physical lineage. And it wasn't by accident that he picked out the son of Abraham and the son of David. Abraham, of course, the first covenant was made with him that people would come to God as Abraham did by faith. And we know that was more than just the Jews because Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was a son of God because he believed him. And and God told him, he said, look, this is the way it's going to be for all generations. Faith in me is what will save you. Therefore, the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of, of David represents kingdom. Because David was really the last legitimate king. You could argue for Solomon, but the the kingdom split right after Solomon. But David established a covenant with God that someone from his lineage would be an eternal king forever. He would be the king of kings. And we know that would be the Messiah. Therefore, David is is why he mentioned David. That's why. And then the last section was really interesting because he said when they went into exile in Babylon, you know, there was from that point forward, it was hard to track the kings. It was tough. And everybody was looking for the Messiah until we come to the first century. And guess who he is? Jesus. And so he he lays out this genealogy. And again, he's making his case to Jews. And they would probably think more of this than we do in, in all honesty. But there was a pattern to why he did it. What's interesting is this lineage was linked to Joseph, who wasn't really Jesus' father. Not in the physical sense. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, said, I'm going to dot every I and across every T, because you won't be able to say that my son is not the king. And he is the king. In a sense, Jesus Christ was a party crasher to his own party. He came here, and they didn't believe him. And yet he came for us. He said, why is lineage important? Well, I was reading just this last week that the current Brits, you know, they still look back. They go back about 35 generations to William the Conqueror to make sure that they've got the right person on the throne. I don't know what difference it much makes now. I guess it determines which tabloids you get in, right, in terms of their power. But it's important to them. But I got to think, it's important to all of us. I'm kind of the historian in my family. So I can, I still, I know who my great, great grandfather, I know their names because I search that out and I look for it. But you know, this last year, we found a sister. Actually, she found us. You know how she did it? Genealogy. DNA. Lineage. All of a sudden, names popped up and nobody knew who they were. And so they started researching. It took them two years to find us. But they found us. You know what we did? We had a party. Still having it. Because that's what adding family means. And that's the point of Matthew's gospel. It's a party. It's a party book. Because it shows us what's the most important. Now, when you look at the lineage of verse 3, 5, 6, and 16, there's something interesting. And the only reason that I can think of that it's in this text is because Matthew was trying to convey something for us to understand and the people of his generation. He mentions five women in this genealogy. Now, most genealogies you would see done by any people from this era would not include any women. 
No offense, ladies, but you just weren't that highly thought of back in these days. Of course, you are today. But they wouldn't have mentioned them. And yet he did. But not only did he mention five women, he mentioned five women who were surrounded by scandal. I mean, a lot of scandal. The first one was Tamar. I call her the black widow turned prostitute. Genesis 38, if you want to read the story. It's quite the story. Her husband's kept dying. No one provided her with a son. And so finally she slept with her father-in-law and got pregnant, posing as a prostitute. She's in the lineage of Jesus. That's scandalous. Then there's Rahab. She was a prostitute turned spy. She was in Jericho. Spies came. She's got her brothel. She lied on their behalf. I've heard people try to defend that. You know, so, well, she didn't really lie. No, she lied. And she was a prostitute. You can try to clean her up all you want, but it was what it was. She's in the lineage of Jesus. Scandalous. Her, uh, turned out to be her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She was a Moabite woman. If you know anything about Israelite history, Moab and Ammon were the two children that were born to Lot by his daughters, an incestuous relationship. And God said, don't ever have anything to do with these people. Well, guess what? Rahab was an Ammonite and Ruth was a Moabite. Scandalous. She's in the lineage of Jesus. There's Bathsheba. She's an adulteress turned mother of a king. She was a part of a plot to murder her husband. I mean, I don't know how much she knew about it, but David had her husband killed. Terrible. It was a blot on Israel. In fact, it changed the trajectory of David's reign for the rest of his life. Ruined his relationship with his kids. Scandalous. And yet she's in the lineage of Jesus. And then there's Mary, who's mentioned at the end. You say, yeah, but Mary was top-notch. And she was. She was blessed by God. But she was a teenager. And she was sort of married because she was betrothed, but she wasn't all the way married. And she was pregnant. And she was saying she had never slept with a man. No one believed her including her betrothed husband, Joseph. He said he was going to put her away quietly. And that says a lot about him because he loved her. But he didn't believe her. And who would? Would we believe that today? Nope. And yet she's in the lineage because she's the mother of Jesus. Once Joseph found out the truth... We know, of course, that he understood, but I can guarantee you nobody else believed that story for a long time until Jesus made himself known. The only reason that I can think of that Matthew would put these women in this text and in this lineage is to show us that the grace of God must always be at the core of what we do. Why else would it be in there? I mean, scandal after scandal. This is scandalous grace. And so we can come along now in the 21st century and say, you know, our lives can be a complete and total mess. And yet Jesus can save us 
Because if we relent to Him, all things are possible. What a beauty. The King of Kings is about bringing everyone to the party. He wants us all there. I think one of the, my favorite passages is Luke 15. Because Luke sort of summarizes exactly what the entire book of Matthew is about. By telling three parables. You remember the three parables come after the question was asked. Why does this? the lost thing was was found there was a what there was a party and the only person that didn't want to go to the party was the older brother who was jealous and self-righteous and representative of the Pharisee mindset I want to be at the party but to do that I've got to check my self-righteousness at the door along with my jealousy, I have to leave it to come to the party. That's the point of the entire book of Matthew. And it's told in a lot of different ways. And Jesus is going to do some amazing preaching and teaching that we're going to look at. But at the essence, if you boil it all down, it's that. I want to be at the party, and I want as many people to be here as possible. At its core, that's what it is. That's why he ends with the Great Commission. I mean, all nations, in every language, we want everybody to be a part of the party. It's salvation. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He became one of us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, unbound by time and space, crashed his own party, his own creation. He came to earth full of humans that he created, all the deity now living in bodily form in him. And what did he do? He surrendered. He surrendered to death on a cross. He surrendered to a hole in the ground so that we might have victory. That's what this book is about. What Jesus did for each and every one of us. Victory over sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not righteous by our own works, by our own hands. Righteous by Jesus because of what he did. Hebrews 2, we no longer have a fear of the slavery of death. Why? COVID can't stop us. We're eternal. I mean, we're going. No disease, no murder, no death, no fear of it. That's the power of what Jesus did for us. 
He surrendered so that we might have victory. And what happened, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He went back. And he said, I got work to do. I'm waiting. There's going to be a number. And when we hit the number, then the party really starts. Because he said, I'm coming back to get you. Those of you that have died, if it's a thousand years from now, you'll be resurrected. And you're going to meet us in the air. You know what that means? We'll be able to fly. Yes. It's going to happen. You look at Superman and Iron Man and whatever man, whatever woman flying around with the help of whatever gets them there. We're going to be doing it for real. Not Marvel, but we will be marveled. And then, of course, the party starts. The real party. This is just a warm-up. I mean, I like the party. It's a good party. I love seeing people come to Christ. I love seeing lives change. I love seeing people go from some place where it's awful and terrible to some place where it's great. And that only happens by the grace of God, not by our righteousness. God created us to work, but they're his works, not ours. To understand what we're going to be studying, you have to reset at that base level. Which is what Brandon was talking about earlier. By going deeper and saying, what, what does my heart say about this? There's a very chilling passage in Matthew 7 that we'll get to where Jesus said a lot of people are going to say, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we jump through this hoop? Didn't we attend this when we were supposed to? Didn't we do that? And he'll say, I don't know who you are. You don't want to miss Jesus. You want to know him, and more importantly, you want him to know you. So when that moment comes, there's no wonder. But to do that, it's not about your acts and your works and how good you think you are. It's about how much have you relied on Jesus Christ, because he is it. And that's what the book of Matthew is about. If you don't know him, today is a day to get to know him. That's the beautiful thing about it. As long as we draw breath, we have an opportunity to say Jesus is Lord, to follow him, to obey him, to say, I want to surrender my life to you because you surrendered for me so that I could have eternal life. Today, you have that opportunity to embrace that gospel story that I mentioned earlier, what he did for us, to say, I'm going to follow him no matter what, to surrender to him in baptism. We got water back here. It's ready. And to say, I want to live my life for Jesus. That's what gets you ready. If you have that need or any other need, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?